0: Two pitch. Swing a long prime.
1: Deep left. Way back. Frank, welcome back to another Baseball America podcast. This is your host, Jeff Ponce, alongside J.J. Cooper. We're breaking down the Minnesota Twins farm system today. Very timely, J.J., as uh, a trade j- just took place, of course, between the Twins. Perfect timing. And the Mariners, they acquired some interesting prospects, uh, a couple players that were actually in the Mariners' top 30. So this system gets a little bit stronger just in time. Uh, but JJ, how have things been? How are you doing?
2: I'm good. I, I like when there's a trade. Like, I mean, got the juices flowing a little bit last night. You know, we can always kind of count Jerry Depoto to, to help us on that. But it does feel like we kind of are in the dragging on part of the offseason. I know there's been some free agent signings too. I saw Justin Turner just signed, it looks like, with the Blue Jays, things like that. But always good to have a a good trade to kind of liven things up as we get into this final stretch before spring training
1: yeah and you know i hope it kind of kicks uh free agency into hyperdrive here over the next couple of weeks as we do under into spring training because there's still some big names out there the reigning nl cy young winner is still not signed with the team uh so yeah you know it uh it makes doing rankings very difficult you know i just uh did the fantasy Top 700 released on the website today. Shameless plug right there, um, but that was something that we had to kind of consider when we're ranking Cody Bellinger, Blake Snell, even you know Jordan Montgomery, uh, and then Justin Turner. It's funny that it hit the site and we're able to update on the fly uh, on the list. So was able to ping Mark and say, "Hey, <laughs> Justin Turner just uh, just signed, so we can we can add him to the Blue Jays."
2: And that's one of the things that we do want to note with this is, is, you've rolled out the 700, you and Dylan, a lot of hard work to do that, a lot of kind of prep for that because we've done kind of different position rankings and all on the fantasy side. But the other part of this is, is that's a living document, right? That's not something where we're going to say, okay, our work is done. Blake Snell signs with the Rockies or Blake Snell signs with the Mariners. I don't think he's going to sign with the Rockies, but you, might, you get what I mean. It affects where he ranks. And so that's something that will play a part in this. As we get news, I hate to say it, but as we get to the start of spring training and someone shows up and goes, oh, my elbow's throbbing, we'll be able to reflect that.
1: Exactly. And I think also as we're in drafts, draft season starting up for all our dynasty leagues, you know, Dylan and myself. So we're going to have some in the wild data to pull from, too, and see where some trends are going, uh, et cetera. So. And
2: so- i do again that's something to check out we also we've done it we've tried to do it in a way that is that is very download friendly we know that if you're doing fantasy lists you need your spreadsheets and also we we try to uh to be aware of that and try to be helpful for that so check it out there's a ton of fantasy coverage there but that's a kind of nice segue you know because we're sitting here and again we talk about you're getting ready for fantasy drafts and, and auctions and all that but we also have real life trades happening and so Jeff, you know, to, to kind of start, let let you kind of lead into it. I just felt like that this was a trade that makes a lot of sense for both teams. But you know, what what's your view? Again, that's a boring answer. That's <laughs> the opposite of a hot take answer. But I see the logic here.
1: Yeah, and you know, I think it uh, it it gives some sort of uh, assistance to this Mariners lineup. For this year, I think, you know, um, the Twins were certainly in a situation where they have a crowded infield. It's probably going to get more crowded in the next few months to uh, a year plus. Um, and they decided to, you know, move out one option uh, that still had some control and, uh, you know, move forward with obviously the young core of infielders that they have uh, at the major league level and coming up right now. So um, I think it's sort of indicative of each team's you know sort of direction the good thing is i think for the mariners um there were a lot of questions you know after the season just with depotos comments etc um are they going to invest in this team i'm not going to say the lineup is world beaters um but you know it does look fairly good right now If some things shake out i mean jp crawford was pretty good you got julio rodriguez polanco probably slots in as like the three or four hitter so he's in a much better position than he would have been in in minnesota where he's probably going to platoon somewhat um and then mitch garver who's going to be their dh i think you know as a full-time dh that can assist you behind the plate here and there the bat's still really good um so it's kind of an interesting lineup i don't know if like i said they're going to be world beaters but with their pitching i think adding polanco definitely makes them a little bit more interesting
2: oh i think polanco is a great hitter to add and if he's healthy you can He's a very reliable hitter. I think you can count on you're going to get 20-plus homers from second base. You know, solid defense, ability to get on base at a decent clip. It's a great addition for the Mariners. And then I look for the Twins. And like you said, that the thing that does jump out to me about it is, is that as good as Polanco is, this is what you want player development to do. Edouard Julian showed last year that he's a guy that you need to have in the lineup. Now, you had other ways you could try to do it, which is Maybe he plays some first as well, you know, things like that. But you are talking about a guy who played well enough defensively to be a plausible second baseman. He's not going to be a plus. He's not going to be a gold glove or anything like that. But he also wasn't a complete, like, lost cause out there where you say, oh, we just can't put him out there. And as I know you love, you love Eddie Julian and I did too, but you probably did a little bit more than me committed last year he showed he's an he has a lot of offensive impact and then you add on top of that that we have brooks lee who's not far away i mean should be there at some point this year and you say well where's lee going to play well if carlos correa is healthy he's not going to play shortstop if royce lewis is healthy he's not going to play third base second base is the logical option this creates a, a lot of a lot of uh versatility there where once Lee's up, you can play Lee at second base sometime, spot him at short and third. You want to give Correa or Lewis a day off or a day at DH. You can also slide Julian to first base some days, where you say, okay, we're going to have a better defensive lineup these days. But every one of these guys should be a a solid offensive contributor, if not more. It, It gives you that versatility. Polanco, as good as he is, he's more valuable. He was more valuable to the Twins as a player to turn around and trade and bring someone else in, much as we saw last year with the Twins, when they traded Luis Sarraez to bolster the rotation. I don't think Anthony Discafini's going to really do anything like Pablo Lopez in the rotation, but he does give them rotation depth, and especially with the the amount of money that's being kicked in on this to cover some of his salary, it's not a high-cost rotation depth. Probably a number five starter if everything's right, and maybe a number six starter who kind of swings back and forth between the pen and the starting in an ideal scenario for the Twins. But to have those two guys, to add Topa, you know, just Topa in this, who, again, we will throw in the if healthy, much like we do with Di Sclafini, but if he's healthy, he's immediately one of the four best relievers in the Twins' pen, which gives you some relief depth. And then what we're going to spend a lot of time talking about today, to add in Gabriel Gonzalez and Darren Bowen in this trade to get a a guy in Gonzalez who immediately becomes one of the better prospects I don't want to say best because we have, they have three top 100 prospects and he's not one of them but one of the better prospects in the twin system and then to add a you know a, a flyer but a, a, an athletic upside college arm which is a weird combo to say who's in, in Bowen I just look at it and say for the for the mariners do they get better 100 percent? because polanco is better than anything they had at second base you're just going to put him out there if he's healthy you've got a switch hitter who plays every day and you say go and then he's going to do it next year you know this year and then you've got a, a a team option for next year that you probably if he plays well plan to exercise so you've got him for two years you've solved your second base question now that means that you have him at second you have a solid shortstop third base is still a little bit of a, a, a platoon situation, probably. But there's a lot less questions for Seattle. But I look at it from Minnesota and say, in the short and probably long term, short term, it's, it's a slight hit. But I don't know if how Polanco fit when they had kind of an overabundance of that position. And long term, if they hit on Gonzalez here, it's a long term, long term benefit. And if Di Sclafini gives them 100 good innings as well, or 100 even Semi-solid innings as well. That's a nice addition for Minnesota as well. For a team that lost Sonny Gray and Kenta Maeda in the offseason, so it gives them a little bit of that rotation depth
1: back. Yeah, I think, you know, they added to the Major League uh, team and added a couple of decent prospects as well. It's funny, Gabriel uh, Gonzalez and Emmanuel Rodriguez are like polar opposite sort of hitters, right? Both guys. One one Emmanuel Rodriguez we'll talk about later, who's uh, squarely a top 100 prospect. I think Gabriel Gonzalez is a guy that's been on our top 100 list at points. Um, you know, he's super aggressive um, <laughs> and he could swing a little bit less. And obviously Emmanuel Rodriguez is a guy who is he swing super a little more, maybe. He and he swing
2: a little more. <laughs> but the thing about it is, is they kind of get to somewhat of the if it all breaks, right. I kind of think of Gabriel Gonzalez, like they, they probably end up playing the same position because both of them are probably right sure. shoulders down the road. And, they kind of get to potentially similar. I, I like Rodriguez better. We both do, I think. But they they could get to similar offensive areas if they all if everything breaks right. Because Gonzalez, and I think you know you know even better than I do. Gonzalez has some really solid bat to ball skills to go with that that very aggressive approach.
1: Yeah, um, he does. You know, there's bat to ball skills there. Not a ton of zone miss, um, but. The strikeouts, the, the the swing and miss, it is, you know, amplified a little bit by the swing decisions. But it's all stuff with, you know, players like this as they age. Certainly that stuff typically improves uh, and could stand to improve for Gonzalez as well. So um, an interesting addition, you know, in, a, in addition to Darren Bowen, who I really like. Um, one of the better oh, athletes. What, is, what
2: stands out to you about Bowen? Why do you like
0: him? so
1: much? Yeah, um, it's a really interesting backstory. You know, total late bloomer here was a guy who didn't pitch very well over three seasons in and out of the rotation in the bullpen at D2 UNC Pembroke. And, you know, I believe the Mariners I had identified some traits uh, based on athletic testing, whether it was jump testing results or um, force plates, you know, teams use a variety of different metrics and there's different ways to sort of measure similar output and athleticism. Um, I think Bowen was a guy that's stuck out to them as like, Hey, we could probably improve this. Um, he had a great season this year, you know, obviously it wasn't age to level appropriate, but I think when you consider this guy's background and how raw he was coming into pro ball, um, there's been, you know, huge strides. he does throw strikes or enough strikes, you know, still learning command of the secondaries, but a sweeper pretty good. Fastball has really interesting traits. Um, and he looks like a guy that, you know, I think when you look at the athleticism, this is very similar to like what Nick Frasso's profile was when he was first with the Blue Jays. It's a guy that if you have a velocity training program that you believe in, this is probably a guy where there's some low hanging fruit and they can get a few miles per hour, you know, onto that fastball without sacrificing any of the quality of shape or release characteristics, et cetera. Um, and, you know, does have some, some feel for the breaking ball and potentially a change up there as well. So even if he ends up as a reliever, I think it's just a really, it's a really interesting arm to have in your system, a top 30 guy easily. And, you know, whether he ends up in the bullpen or as a starter and, you know, a solid back end starter, who knows. Uh, but I think when you can acquire a guy like this as a throw in, in a trade like this, it's it's not too bad.
2: The thing that does jump out to me, one thing about that that I will just add a little caveat, which is if you said, if you have a program with a really good velocity development uh, ability, and I know that he'd only been there since twenty twenty two, but if you asked me, okay, what organization has sure. a really <laughs> good velocity development program? Seattle would be my number one answer on that. I, I don't. I mean, that's something that they just do. Exceptionally well, and they've done exceptionally well over the last several years. So, I know that he, again, he's still getting established in the organization. But going from Seattle to anywhere, I, I, it's going to be hard to imagine you like coming to a new organization and being like, "Oh, we've really unlocked some velo here." That that Mariners crop, you know, they just didn't know how to do it because Seattle's like, "Come here, George Kirby." You're, you're really impressive, but if we could just add you know some some below here, you're really going to take off. And George Kirby goes, hey, how's four or five miles an hour sound? Yeah. So that's one thing, but I agree with you completely. This is the kind of guy that as a fourth piece in a deal is exactly the type of guy that you want as a fourth piece in a deal because he's the type of guy who you say, it may not work out, but if it does, he could be a useful guy. And You'd much rather have that than the guy who's like, well, he's ready to go to AAA, but we don't really anticipate him ever having a a significant big league role or something like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, um, absolutely. It's an interesting deal and one that was uh, well-timed. JJ, we're going to get into the top 10, top 30 in a moment right at that time. Why don't we take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right, and we're back. So, J.J., we're talking twins, top prospects. We have the top 30s up on the site now, so you can go and check that out at baseballamerica.com. Um, but let's start at the top here. They have a very interesting top group of prospects, a lot of upside on the position side. We're talking Walker Jenkins. We're talking Brooks Lee. And then we have previously talked to Manuel Rodriguez. Among this position group, top three here, how do you think it rates, I'm putting you in the spot a little bit here, but how do you think it rates versus the other farm systems, the other 29 farm systems in terms of a top three cluster of position prospects? Is there another team that sort of rivals this in your opinion?
2: I think there are, I, I, yeah, uh, Baltimore, for instance, I would say yeah. that like when you say Holiday, Versailles, Kowser. we can keep going like I would say that they have as much impact if not more and they have much more depth but this is a premium top three this is what you're looking for because I think it's a nice blend as well if you if you want to knock Brooks Lee it's that there's a lot of belief that he's going to be a solid big leaguer not a star which is one of those one of those things I would say that you kind of hear a lot of times with those college middle infielders, especially guys who aren't like a flashy shortstop, and I think that there are times that you turn around and go, oh, that guy just gave you a good solid 10-year big league career, and he made a couple of All-Star games and all that, and you go, that was great, even though it's like, okay, the tools are good, not great, The you wish he was a little bit more athletic, all those things, But but he's the kind of guy... It's kind of hard to envision Brooksley not being a useful big leaguer because he's hit everywhere he's ever been. If he's healthy, which is always a concern with Brooksley because he's had some injuries in the past, but a healthy Brooksley who he's been healthy so far as the pro is a guy who should be a solid contributor for a long time. Rodriguez, we talked about, that's your, you've got an upside play. No one loves to walk more than Rodriguez and no one hits the ball. Very few people hit the ball harder than Rodriguez, which is a great kind of starter pack For an offensive impact uh you know bat in the middle of the lineup there are still some things to work on there's some questions about athletically how athletic is he how impactful defensively is he long term those kind of things but that's that's a great number three prospect and then this is where we're going to kind of camp out i think jeff and and just if you're a twins fan you're going to enjoy this next part a little bit if you're a fan of another al central team you might not as much but to top it off with Walker Jenkins, that's the guy who you say, okay, does this guy potentially have everything you're looking for? One hundred percent. When you say, what everything we just talked about with Brooks Lee, we're like, ah, oh, you, you know, they're guys who, you, when we get feedback on, it's like he's good, but I don't think he's great. The feedback we get on Walker Jenkins is, oh, he could be great. Oh, he could be a guy when we were handicapping who could be the number one prospect in the game at this time next year, Walker Jenkins is 100% a name that you have to fit into that. Because, Jeff, if it, if it all comes together, what do you think Walker Jenkins could end up being? Like, Ed, let's go to the pie in the sky. Sure. <clears throat>
1: um, potential. Yeah, you know, I was talking with uh a scout friend of mine who's you know down in the the florida area and you know he was talking about the defense yesterday even beyond the offense how advanced he was in comparison to everybody else in the fcl when he saw him and then you factor in like there's maybe a chance this guy can end up you know an everyday defensive center fielder so i think if we're talking pie in the sky we can start right there we know about the hitting ability and everything else this is a guy that maybe could stick in the middle of the, uh, the you know, in center field, in the middle you know, the middle of the field. And I don't know if that's necessarily what's going to happen, but we're talking pie in the sky here. Is he going to be, you know, an, a plus defensive center fielder? Probably not, but an average or better center fielder with his offensive profile. There's like 10, 11 center fielders that are everyday center fielders that qualify for the batting title this year that had like a WRC plus above a hundred. So, there's not many guys in the game that could potentially do that. And you're talking about, I think, pie in the sky, seven hit, seven power. I mean, i it's if an impact You're talking center. like 95th percentile outcome, one of the best players in the
2: game. It's going to be interesting to watch because they're both drafted by AL central teams. Mm-hmm. The Max Clark versus Walker Jenkins debate is going to be a fun one for a long time. And... I can argue both sides of it. I don't want to make it sound like we have Jenkins sure. ranked higher right now. I can argue both sides because I do think that Clark, if Clark if Clark has a chance to be an impact defender in center as well, whereas I think that Jenkins could be a center fielder early in his career and could be an impact defender in right, but you would always take up the middle over right. Mm-hmm. But that said, I feel really good about Jenkins' ability to hit for average and power and That's the starter kit of the best prospects in the game. I'm going to be fascinated. He is going to be one of the most enjoyable players, I think, to watch in 2024. We just got a little sneak peek of it last year, but this is a guy who I do feel like that the timetables have been sped up now across the minors, and partly now because if you just look at how this is all structured, we are now in a world where it used to be, and I am not one of those old guys, or I try not to be one of those old guys who says, back in the day, this is how they did it, and now they do it completely differently. But we used to be in a situation where that first year, players generally spent, hung out in low A, or maybe high A for the entirety of the season. I believe we are now in a world, especially with the 165-player limit that we're looking at for 2024, when the draft arrives, you have to clear players out and then you have to bring in your draftees. Well, we now have kind of this natural inflection point that didn't exist before. When you had short season ball, when you had multiple rookie ball teams in a lot of cases, you kind of had these leagues that started post-draft to kind of take that influx. So you had some movement, but you didn't have necessarily a ton of movement. Now, you have players who are going to be going out because you have to clear roster spots. And then you're going to have other players coming in who need to play. So you have almost this natural movement. So I do believe we are now in a world where a player who starts the season in low A, moving up to high A halfway through the year, is a normal development. But then you're going to have, I'm not saying he's going to be on a Jackson holiday path, but a player like Walker Jenkins, I do believe we're in a world now where it wouldn't stun me if he develops as hoped that he might get a little taste of double A at the end of the year. That would be crazy because I think he may show that that A ball is just not not enough for him at some point this year, especially because there is some acknowledgement that low A is a little bit closer to what short season ball was in some in, in some aspects pre-2020-2021 reorganization. And high A is kind of a level that the most advanced players often, that's their first real challenge in a lot of ways. So is it crazy to you, Jeff, to think that, that Walker Jenkins could be a two or even, you know, partial three level uh, guy in, in, in 2024?
1: No. And, you know, I think if uh, it was 65 to 70 degrees in their high a affiliates location uh, in April and May. Might even see him in high A. That's not the case. He is in the, uh, they are in the Midwest League, which is frigid and cold. Um, even colder than me, my Eastern League here in the early months of the season. Um, so I would imagine he probably starts in, in low A. That's good for us baseball fans. as They have the new uh, Fort Myers broadcast live. So that, that'll be fun to watch. That's I'll be down that. there. This so I'll be looking forward to that myself. But I would assume he starts there. I'm saying first couple of months once it does start to warm up it seems like we see that a lot and then the better prospects get moved into the Midwest League. Um it's still a tough place to hit but you know I do think that Jenkins certainly is a, is equipped for that. If he stays healthy throughout the season it wouldn't shock me if he's in double A by August. I I really think the ability is there, all the feedback we're getting is there and we've seen it time and again recently and as you said I think Low A and High A have a a different um, sort of context than they had four, five, six years ago in the bigger spectrum of minor league talent and concentration, that sort of thing.
2: The other thing, the the last point I wanted to make on this, and that's kind of the point that you're making also, we often expect that there's going to be players, even first-round draftees, first-round picks, who are going to have an adjustment period in Mm -hmm. pro ball. You don't want to freak out if a guy doesn't set the world on fire in the first, second, third month of their first full pro season. That said, I will say, and again, please don't take it as like if he has a bad first couple of weeks that we go, oh, well, right off Walker Jenkins. That's all I'm saying. But I'll be stunned if Walker Jenkins looks lost at the plate in the first half of the season as he gets adjusted to pro ball. What we saw last year in his very brief time in pro ball what we hear from scouts, what we saw, you know, in his in when he was healthy in his high school season, especially that little step forward he made in his senior year of high school. I really do. This is a guy who I ex probably unfairly, but I expect him to hit the ground running in a way that if you ask me, there's a number of players in the first round of last year's, you know, last year's class, especially high school guys, who so i like, don't get worried if, if if they have a slow start. That's not to be about a shock. That's going to take a little time to get acclimated. I kind of have this expectation that Walker Jenkins is going to go out and it's going to be like, wow, from day one, just because again, I think he's that special of a talent.
1: I don't disagree. Uh, He's definitely a player to be super excited about. Um, We've talked a lot about the position group here at the top. We got full scouting reports up on baseball America. All three of these guys have been mentioned in several articles over the last couple of years. They're in the top 100 as well, so there's plenty of information out there for you to dig into and uh, get more information on them. Let's talk a little bit about the pitching here in the top 10. Uh, We talked about the position group. Um, There's five pitchers in the top 10. Um, Some late round guys, a couple of you know early round prep gambles. Um, Kind of an interesting group. No real standout, but. I think all five of these guys are talented and could have major league careers in one way, shape, or form. So, I don't know, sort of a pick them for you. Talk to me yeah. about a couple of these arms that you like
2: a lot. So, you kind of mentioned it, but the thing that really does stand out to me is kind of a theme with the Twins is the Twins, I feel like they make a lot of hay pitching-wise on late day two and day three of the draft. They're a team where when they say with the 8th round pick, with the 12th round pick, with the 18th round pick the Minnesota Twins select, pay attention because they've had a lot of success with that. We Just look at their big league club now. Look at the Josh Weiners, Look at the Louis Barlins, guys like that. They have some other guys like that in this system right now. But I do think if you said, who are the two guys who are most important to them in 2024, it's the top two pitchers on this list. David Festa is a guy who I I would not be surprised at all if he started games for the twins this year especially by the second half of the season because I think he has a chance to by the second half of the season because he is a guy who when you just look at it he's not that far away and they again they need rotation depth it's not that they don't have guys because they do but I do think that when you look at them, you would say they don't have as much rotation depth as they had last year or the year before, especially last year that's that it's late, late in the season, so a guy like Festa could step up. The one, though, that I think is the wild card is Matt Cantorino, and if you want to argue, if you want to look at this and say you've got Cantorino stuffed up too high because we have up number six, okay, I'll listen to you because he's a tough guy to rank because he is coming off Tommy John surgery, and he's been battling injuries for several years. Now I'll make the case for why we ranked him six, which is when healthy, he has and he has shown dominant stuff. I'm talking the eighth inning belongs to Matt Catarino and the ninth inning belongs to Joanne Duran type stuff. And when you say he's had injury issues, it's been one injury. He's had elbow issues That he kind of had multiple years where it was like, I'm going to try to see if I can make this work. I'm going to try to rehab it. I'm going to try to pitch with it. And he did. And he did for multiple years. And it's not like when he pitched that it was like, what's wrong with this guy? It was something where the stuff was really good. But he kept being shut down with the same issues. And finally, he decided, okay, I need to get this fixed. They fixed his elbow ligament. It's, I expect him to come back from that. Again, Tommy John is a surgery at this point that has a, a pretty high success rate. And he's now far enough away from that surgery that I expect him to have a chance to make an impact for the, the Twins in you know, this upcoming year, in 2024. And he's the guy, that's why he's stuffed up so high at six, because this is, I, I hope for his sake, the last chance we have to rank him. And I do want to kind of flag post that this is a player who has a chance to be a really impactful, probably reliever, but an impactful reliever. The thing that they have beyond that is a lot of guys where you say, they could be back in starters, they could fit into the pen potentially. I don't think that this is, I I don't think that this system after the top three, maybe you say four now with Gabriel Gonzalez being added, because that to answer the question, by the way, that that someone they have, I think we're gonna slot Gonzalez at four when we update our list the next time. I think that we'll see Bowen slot somewhere in the 20s on this list. Um, they have more depth than they have kind of impact guys after that top three. But there are a number of kind of intriguing arms here. There are guys like you know your C.J. Culpeppers, like your uh, Charlie Soto's a long way away, Zebby Matthews, Corey Lewis. There's a lot of kind of arms where it's like, let's see where this goes. But there are guys who have uh, have a chance to, to have paths to the big leagues. And then you throw in the Hedricks and all. Like, there's a number of arms here where it's like, okay, I don't think that guy's going to front a rotation, but I think he is a guy who can help a, a big league club. And in some cases, maybe in the help a club this upcoming year. I, I think that the system's not where it was a couple of years ago because the system, even last year, like look at what they produced in a in a Julian in a uh, Matt Walner. They they produced Royce Lewis. Who, they produced a ton recently. I, I feel like. Even while trading away, a Spencer Steer, a Christian Encarnacion Strand, uh, you know, a Cade Povich, who I think could make some noise with Baltimore before long. Oh, yeah, Yiner Cano, who was really good in the pen for Baltimore last year. It's been a pretty productive farm system. I still think that there's some stuff here to help, team, to help their team or provide trade ammunition if they need it over the 2024 season.
1: Yeah, I fully agree with that. And, you know, I think as you get deeper into the system as well, you see, you know, some of the recent gambles uh, and and acquisitions they've made in the international market, um, you know, here and there, some draft picks, guys that had some upside, some toolsy players as well. Um, Talk to me about who you feel is a sleeper in this system. I think there's probably quite a few names that you could sort of pinpoint and maybe even different tiers and levels. This, uh, this system is, is ripe with maybe some guys after 11 that are pretty interesting. So, who okay. are some of your uh, I'll, go,
2: I'll go deep on the list um, because of what we were just talking about. This is a system that I, I feel like has had a pretty good feel for what to do with second baseman over the years. Um, obviously, Luis Arias is a player who stands out that way, but then they also had Jorge Blanco. Now they produced Edouard Julian. Now they're producing, it looks like, Brooks Lee. So this is a team, and that doesn't count like the Michael Hellmans of the world, who you know, in a weird scenario could end up helping a team, although I think he's, his window's probably closing in Minnesota just because of the depth ahead of him. But Damari Pena, who's a long ways away, but, and is, is very kind of back at the, the back of this list, but I do think that this is, he's interesting because he's a second baseman who looks like he's really gonna hit. We'll see, long ways away. But that's an example of a guy to kind of, to kind of keep an eye on. Um, if I was going to go the exact opposite end of the spectrum, I have zero, eye, zero confidence, how about that, in Noah Miller being impactful enough offensively to be a solid big league regular or anything like that. He's not shown that yet. That was the concern coming out of the draft. So far, pretty much the concern has been lived up to. That being said... Noah Miller is a special shortstop defensively. And I really enjoy watching special shortstops defensively because it is something where it's now, you you can see it, it's great to be able to see it in person, but as two people who love to hop on Synergy and watch a lot of video, it's really fun also to see like the totality of what a shortstop does over a, a number of games. And Miller's one of those guys who's really fundamentally sound, anthro on top of that really he's not like oh but the range is lacking or oh the just really good shortstop defensively and you always kind of have a little bit of a belief that those guys are going to figure out a path at some point to the majors because while yes there's positioning while there's while the bats are important and we're not going to in the world of the uh uh mark belangers anymore where it's like yeah he's going to hit buck 80 but it's going to be really good defensively so we're going to put him out there every day but Owen Miller is going to get a lot of time to develop offensively because the defense is so good. So that's the guy that I always throw out as, a, as someone who is not a, a premium prospect in the, in, the, in the twin system, but someone who I'm always intrigued by because there aren't a whole lot of slam dunk plus defenders at shortstop in the minors. And I, I think that Noah Miller is a slam dunk. And yes, that is the brother of Owen Miller another uh you know big league middle infielder for the guardians so I, I think that those are two names from much deeper down on the list who i do find pretty interesting
1: yeah and uh it's it's certainly a system where there's a handful of guys that like i said you know maybe not huge names but players who've been productive like Camargo being one um i'm o- always i'm always Entertained by watching uh, Cody uh, Funderburk come come out of the Funderburk, excuse me, come out sure. of the bullpen. Um, yeah, <laughs> you okay. know, very interesting and, and, stuff.
2: And, and that doesn't include Jordan Belasovich. Deshaun Tiercy is a guy who I depend. I was on about on to shout him out. Yeah, Austin, we haven't. You know, we haven't talked a lot about Austin Martin, but I wouldn't be surprised if Austin Martin made his big league debut this year. There's a lot of yeah. guys who oh, we mentioned, Michael Hellman. You know. Jar Jar Camargo, uh, you know, there's there are a lot of guys. Junior Severino is the guy who was it's an all or nothing, but hey, this is the guy who had as much power in AAA as anybody last year. If you told me that that there's a, a need for a few weeks, you bring him up, see if he can mash. I'm I'm a I've always been a Chris Williams fan, who is not even a, a top 30 prospect. I don't you know for them, but. I've always believed that he can hit somewhat if he can just play catcher just enough to be like a, a guy you sit at AAA who comes up to DH and and can catch in a perfect scenario every now and then. Just a lot of guys, here, a lot of intriguing guys who aren't necessarily going to be everyday regulars, but for the Twins right now, that's okay, because when you look at, so what everyday regulars have they produced lately, you can just kind of go around and say, well, Brian Jeffers at catcher, okay, I, I would say, I don't know if Jose Miranda's is ever going to make it back, but he was a guy who looked like he was a regular two years ago. did had a really kind of lost year last year. You mentioned Julian. Royce Lewis looks like he's a, an impact guy for them for for years to come. They still have Buxton, yeah. who's saying that he's going to play center. We'll see. I hope he can. Yeah. I really do. Is you know, if you if you like baseball, the idea yeah. of Byron a healthy Byron Buxton running around the center field should give you a lot of uh, potential joy, but. To add in, like the Matt Walners, to add in, you know, they still have Max Kepler, Trevor Varnak. There's a lot of, there's a lot that's gone well for the Twins here. And probably if you're a Twins fan listening to the most important thing is what went well last year is you'll want a playoff game. You didn't just win a playoff game. You want a playoff series. You want to go further. But the monkey is off your back. You have cleared out the biggest concern you had, which is you had to go back to, way longer than you want to admit to remember your last Twins win. And that's no longer the case. They go into 2024. And I would say with that, I look at them right now, this is a good division to be in. Let's just be honest. <laughs> I don't think that they've improved from where they were last year. I, I think that, I, I think having Chris Paddock back is going to help make up for what losing Sonny Gray and Kenta Maeda. But that being said, I still look at them as the team to beat in this division, Jeff, because I look at it and say, I don't see anyone else. I think the Tigers are making positive strides. I think the Royals are are showing some signs of doing some things. You know, they've added some veteran help and all. But I don't see anyone that I look at this division. The White Sox seem to be backing up, especially. They haven't traded anyone yet, but if they make some of these trades that we're expecting them to make, I just don't see anyone, Guardians included, who looks like they're ready to pass the team that that won this division last
1: year yeah i don't either you know i think it's a race for you know who's going to finish second among you know the other teams i i do look at the twins lineup and i think to myself this could go really bad this could go really good as well if you know if there's a lot of upside with youth there's upside with health as well if you do get a miraculous healthy season out of a combination of you know lewis buxton correa maybe finds his former form Alex Kirilov, for the first time at 26, is healthy. Um, you get all that. I think the rotation's still good enough. Pablo Lopez is a top 10ish starter in the game. Uh, you know, Joe Ryan, I think, is a solid number two. Could take some steps forward as well if he improves the secondaries, etc. And even the the back end of this rotation and Over Paddock and Varland, there's an outcome where all these guys have you know number three type starter seasons it wouldn't be a total shock maybe varland a little bit but i think the skills are there um and showed well in spurts last year and it's a good bullpen you got johan duran at the back end um you got griffin jacks who had a great year they just acquired justin topa um it's a good deep bullpen with a lot of different options you had the in as a either a long guy or sort of your six starter um They have some depth. It's interesting. And you mentioned some of the starters that could debut this year or some of the other arms as well. So it's an interesting team. It's not going to blow your doors off, but I think they could win, you know, 85 to 90 games. That wouldn't be a shock.
2: The thing you said that is we don't know. This is what we love about baseball. No one knows. But this is a team that won the division last year with Byron Buxton never playing a game in center field and hitting 207 with a sub-300 OVP with Carlos Correa their big money acquisition battling uh a, an injury all year that did seem to affect him especially at the plate he had a little flashes of it but he was not anywhere close to being the offensive force that you are expecting Carlos Correa to be to do that to have you know some other injuries as well there is a right there is a scenario here where if Lewis is healthy all year and hits like he did when he was healthy last year when he was back. And Correa and Buxton are even 85% of what they've been at their peak. This could be a really interesting lineup, especially if you throw in the Julians, you throw in the, you know, again, like what expecting a Brooks Lee to show up at some point. To, there's 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 a path here. Now, like a lot of teams, I think in the Central, the concern you might have is, they're trying to cut payroll, not add. They publicly said that. And I kind of, I mean, you can be upset about that if you're a Twins fan. At the same time, it is really crazy that we're recording this at the very tail end of January. And if you ask me the question, how do you watch the Twins this year on TV? The answer is no one knows because they don't have a TV contract as we head into the month that they start playing spring training games which is they're not the only team facing it, but it is a concern, like is a real significant concern. But I do look at this and say, I, I do feel like that this is a team that, that's pretty well positioned, again, especially to take advantage of what is a, a reasonably weak uh, you know, division.
1: I agree. I think uh, that kind of wraps up the Twins very nicely. I'm not going to ask you for any final thoughts because I think we closed it out well got to talk a little bit about the season. We talked about their top prospects, some of the sleepers that are in the system, their recent trade and all the things that you should be excited about, or maybe not excited about heading into the season as a twins fan for Jeff Ponce, for JJ Cooper. This has been another baseball America podcast. Don't forget to like rate and subscribe. We appreciate your support. And as always to all subscribers, thanks for all that you do for us.